Thank you for listening to Crypto Over Coffee, your weekly update on all things crypto, which is brought to you this month by our podcast sponsor, Get Protocol. It's time to unlock the full potential of a ticket. No longer should a ripped ticket stub find its way into the trash. The modern ticket can be the embodiment of a lasting connection between event organizers and fans. Get Protocol has been getting their hands dirty within the blockchain and NFT space since 2016, with over 800,000 on-chain tickets to real events with non-crypto savvy attendees. All transparently viewable on the blockchain with all the complexity hidden behind the scenes, making the end user experience as easy as possible. Whether you're an aspiring ticketeer, enterprise ticketing company, or a blockchain enthusiast looking for projects with mainstream adoption, take a look at Get Protocol and learn about the future of event ticketing on the blockchain. Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. That being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about what to expect from tomorrow's Cardano smart contracts update, some Elrond news, Terra Luna, our usual 404 Logic Nod Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates. If you like crypto, please subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button so you get a heads up when I post new stuff, or you can of course follow the podcast on your platform of choice. And just a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. I don't have a WhatsApp. I will not ask you to contact me. I'm not going to sell you a mining thing or a crypto scam or a 100x opportunity tomorrow. If the comment doesn't have the name highlighted like you see on the screen, it isn't me and you can report them. Please, please be safe out there. Lots of scams. Now, in partnership with the folks at Keystone, I give away a Keystone tablet steel seed phrase backup in every episode by picking a random comment from the video. And I also give away one hardware wallet per month as well made by Keystone. Just for transparency, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, I will send you some Bitcoin instead. So the winner of last week's giveaway for the Keystone is here on the screen by Random Draw. So big congratulations to you. And of course, I will be in touch for you to claim your prize. Now, this week's crypto market update is a break from our bullish past few weeks with major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether breaking lower than they were a week ago and little indication that they will rebound this weekend, looking like a rough weekend ahead. This is marked by a clear shift in sentiment in the wake of uncertainty around the SEC's actions against Coinbase and others, and simply fear that lingers after a 20% plus drop in prices in the span of what was basically minutes this past week. However, certain coins have bucked this trend despite the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Take Luna, for example, which we'll be talking about here shortly. Or Cardano ADA, riding high on expectations for tomorrow's smart contracts launch. Overarchingly, this whole bearish weekend scenario, actually this week, doesn't really concern me as it relates to the midterm outlook for crypto, but we might be in for more red in the markets ahead. It might not be what people want to hear, but before we get a run up like we we all hope for, we're likely going to have another significant drop where whales and retail accumulate and flip to buy big. This is why you just can't chase pumps. You can get caught in rapid reversals and end up in a hole quickly. So please, please be careful with the volatility out there, my friends. Anyways, now everyone in the Cardano community right now is waiting with bated breath for the long awaited, yes, we know, long awaited smart contracts update, which is coming tomorrow on September 12th to the Cardano mainnet. Let's talk about two things. A, the drama around this update, and B, 
what to expect after mainnet launch. The excitement, of course, has been somewhat marred by the drama around the reported concurrency issues that would, according to Cardano's vocal critics, make DeFi impossible on the network. I would like to make clear that this is all very, very misleading, as is the assertion that Cardano dApps can only process one transaction per block. Yes, the UTXO model that Cardano employs makes implementation of DeFi protocols much, much different in terms of the challenges and design patterns than it is today on an account-based chain like Ethereum. They're not very similar. Heck, they're indeed DeFi applications in this environment that won't work well on Cardano because of the design choice to use the UTXO model. However, let's realize that this is a trade-off. When you make a trade-off, you give up one thing in exchange for another. That's the definition. So there's not just negativity here. In exchange for maybe a more challenging design pattern around building a DEX, or at least one that's a lot different than what we're used to, you get transaction determinism, which gives you predictable fees, a clear idea whether your transaction will succeed or fail, and of course, predictable outcomes for your transactions in terms of their effect on state in the network. Ethereum has struggled with this for a while. Cardano dApps will require a focus on parallelism, where the overall tasks or processes are broken down into pieces that can be processed simultaneously to achieve scalability and DeFi. Furthermore, special care will need to be taken to avoid issues of contention during either concurrent or parallel execution, where there are multiple processes working to affect the same UTXO in one block. I completely understand the frustration with how this whole saga has played out because this news broke in testnet in an uncontrolled environment which lets social media effectively dictate the message until iohk and others could set the record straight but at that point it's too late i've had if i had to levy one criticism here to iohk it would be that they should have put emphasis on highlighting this design consideration before it was found in the wild and taken for a ride because it was known ahead of time beforehand that concurrency versus parallelism was going to be a point of contention we needed to think about it anyways the point is this cardano is very different from ethereum and other blockchains like it not on day one not on day 10 but as people build and fail on cardano there will be more and more robust solutions and best practices that come to the fore that's how all of this works. You will see multiple solutions to this concurrency and other design considerations on Cardano when the first dApps launch in the coming days, which will put people's minds at rest. Which brings me to the second part of this, which is what we should expect from mainnet launch. Of course, I would anticipate a ton of volume in terms of transactions as people flock to try these decentralized applications that launch on day one. I would also watch closely to see how ADA flows potentially out of stake pools and into dApps that might not allow passive ADA contribution. This will be the biggest change to the entire economy around ADA in its history, where ADA's main utility is not to mint NFTs or to earn yield by delegation. I'll be very, very curious to see what happens here. I would also expect hiccups, issues, bugs, and all the normal things that come with new technology. Expect these things to be blown out of proportion on social media as critics and frustrated ADA holders react. This is all unavoidable, and it will pass. The other thing is the price of ADA. Everyone has their own predilection towards one school of thought or another as to how the price of ADA will move in the wake of the update. Now, if we're going based on historical data from the past, it would indicate that ADA will drop on the launch of the update and consolidate for the next big run-up as things settle out and reach proverbial cruising altitude. It happened with Shelley, for example. 
However, the new utility for ADA and yield opportunities that will arise in the dApps that come with it might also drive demand and subsequently increase ADA's price because this is a very different update than those of the past. It really could go either way. So just plan accordingly and protect yourself. Ultimately, this is the most pivotal time in Cardano's history. This is years in the making, years in the making, but the work isn't done. In fact, the work actually starts now for builders to take the tools and the environment that's been created for them on mainnet and build valuable applications that take advantage of the unique benefits of Cardano's smart contract environment and, of course, work around the unique limitations and design challenges that there will inevitably be. In the wild, things are going to move fast, so make sure you're buckled up, my friends. And before I forget, if you're a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH. Thank you for that in advance. Every single Lovelace counts. Now, in other news, I want to talk about Terra Luna, the ecosystem that issues what I would say is arguably the greatest stablecoin that exists right now in the crypto space. You've probably seen that Luna, the native cryptocurrency in the Terra ecosystem, which serves as collateral for UST, has been absolutely blowing up with huge gains, even when other altcoins are selling off in large, large quantities. And I've talked about the project on the channel multiple times before. And there's a good reason for that. This project is capturing what I think is the perfect image of the future of cryptocurrency when we reach that true mass adoption phase. The entire DeFi ecosystem across all blockchains is driven by these foundational composable elements that provide functionality and financial instruments to be used within DeFi protocols to build sort of vertically and horizontally. There are honestly none more foundational than stablecoins, arguably lending, but stablecoins, which serve as liquidity, trade pairs, and more. Terra's UST stablecoin is one of, if not the most well-designed stablecoins that I've ever used, from its issuance mechanism to its ease of use, to its effect on Luna's price through burning and collateral, etc. However, the most powerful feature yet to come to the Terra ecosystem, and in turn to the UST stablecoin, is true interoperability via the Cosmos Interblockchain Communication Protocol. This is the future of crypto. No half-baked bridges or centralized gatekeepers, a truly interoperable stablecoin that will fuel DeFi on many blockchains, not just one, in a decentralized manner. I mean, imagine you have one Cosmos-compatible chain that's tailored to support order book exchanges, which is tough to do on a blockchain in many cases today. Okay, great. UST will work there as a trading pair and liquidity mechanism. Then let's say you have another chain that's EVM compatible and has all sorts of other DeFi protocols there based off of what we've seen in Ethereum. Yep, UST is going to work there also. You think UST is popular now? I mean, you think that the Luna burning required to issue UST is high now? Just wait till this interoperability update comes. The Columbia 5 upgrade that brings Cosmos IBC support was supposed to land, pun intended, on Terra a couple days ago, but was delayed for a few weeks, presumably to get things totally ready before launch. Despite the delay, this is one of the upgrades that I'm most excited about in crypto right now, and I'm so happy that Cosmos is finally getting some attention. It really does deserve it. Elrond fans will also be very excited that the final stage in the launch of the long-awaited MyR Exchange DeFi protocol on the popular MyR mobile app, you know how I feel about that. Well, this is all going underway on September 14th in the form of the Battle of the Yields. This testnet competition and bounty program has over $100,000 up for 
grabs for people who find security, performance, and other issues in testnet. They submit contributions for documentation or design or just ideas. And of course, there will be a reward for the biggest yield earners on the testnet. If you don't yet have the Myr app for Elrond, please download it. I will leave my referral link down below because it's all you need to get involved in the Elrond ecosystem to stake and, of course, participate in Battle of the Yields. To sign up, head over to battleofyields.com, log in with Myr using the Myr login plugin, and then complete the steps. This is a great opportunity to test and potentially earn rewards in the process of just using the application. Next up, folks, is today's game of Factor FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I noticed yesterday and a couple days ago, actually, that a story was making its rounds through the various communities about how the Ethereum node count on mainnet has taken a plunge since the drama at the end of August that resulted in a chain split. The precipitating event back then was a slew of unupdated nodes on the network that ended up causing a chain split by mining on the wrong chain. Those were miners. Now, if you look at the chart on Etherscan, you will see that there is a sheer drop off of node count on Ethereum from around 8,000 on August 29th, if I remember correctly, to 3,000 the day after, where it's remained steady there basically till today. Naturally, fans of other protocols deemed competitors to Ethereum have taken this story as a way to claim that Ethereum is failing and belief in the project is now gone. Now, I've seen people saying that miners are abandoning Ethereum, and this is really irritating, not because it's only misinformation, but because it's communities abusing information and acting like maximalists, which we don't need any more of, quite frankly. First of all, why are there huge node count drop-offs? To me, that's pretty simple. I'm speculating here, but a large proportion of these people are probably running nodes for development or some other reason, and they're not actively monitoring that node. They're not actively engaging with the community, and they likely have no idea that there was an upgrade to their node client they needed or that there was a fork in the first place. This means that those nodes are basically just dangling there and not on the canonical chain that we are all supposed to be on. There's no way to force people to upgrade their node. So if they don't do it, their node will basically disappear from the count. And this has happened many times before, and it's been blown out of proportion basically each time. And afterwards, everything was fine. It was forgotten about. This is not a huge deal. And any reporting about node count dropping signals Ethereum's death, I think are pretty ridiculous. And secondly, the hash rate on Ethereum has not seen the massive drop equivalent to that node count drop. So that tells us that miners are not factually abandoning Ethereum like people are saying. So this is FUD. Unfortunately, for those who wish Ethereum would fail, I'm sorry to report to you, it is here to stay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please hit the like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, whatever you got to do. It tells the robots that you're enjoying the content and others might also do that. So thanks in advance. Time for a coffee break. Now, it is unavoidable at this point for me not to do something related to the SEC or the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, who have made several enforcement moves against crypto in recent weeks and months that has a lot of people scratching their heads. Most recently, it was a move against Coinbase for their planned Lend product, which the SEC is seemingly claiming is an offering that constitutes the requirements for securities and the related regulations therein to comply with securities rules. Now, I'm a realist. 
I know that regulation is not an if, but a when for crypto. Anyone who actually understands how the world works will realize that this is true, regardless of what we feel about it or how we think things should be, nothing stays unregulated forever. However, the SEC's mandate to protect investors and their promise to provide regulatory clarity to advance that mission has fallen extremely short here. The SEC's actions recently have not met either of those goals and are more indicative of a toxic approach to regulation in the form of regulation and creating rules by enforcement without clear guidelines for crypto companies and fintech companies for that matter to comply with securities regulations and rules as it relates to crypto and lending and things like that it is simply unjust to take enforcement action against those companies who have no reasonable means to comply with unclear rules. If the rules were made clear, companies who do not comply would be very obvious and the path to enforcement would be very easy. But the lack of clarity today equates to inequitable enforcement, which almost seems like a roll of the dice. One company can get sued for something that other companies are doing but have completely not been targeted for. If the SEC wants to take action against scams and deliberate investor abuse, more power to them. But they need to work with fintechs and crypto companies to create rules that are clearly defined so that these companies have a chance, even a faint chance, of complying. Not only that, but enforcement action against companies like Coinbase, who have gone public, worked to be compliant, and made efforts to engage with the SEC and other regulators and lawmakers, is counterproductive at best. Enforcing rules that are left in a total gray area is nothing but a 404 logic not found, as is wasting taxpayer dollars on the expensive court cases that will surely follow to sort out the mess that ensues. Now, let me take a moment here for sponsor time, which keeps coffee in the cup and episodes of Crypto Over Coffee flowing to you every Saturday. I want to thank my long-term sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin, who offers amazing yields on both Bitcoin and USDC stablecoins. I'm earning a solid 9% rate on my USDC. It's sitting on the sidelines in the crypto market. And now, Ledin also allows you to trade assets on the platform so you can take advantage of the swings in price of Bitcoin. For example, when Bitcoin dips below a certain point, I might want to buy Bitcoin, which I can do without fees on Ledin, and vice versa. I might want to sell out of Bitcoin and go to USDC. I love this feature because it lets me execute trades quickly and doing so during favorable market conditions for whatever trade I want to make. Of course, you have to be mindful of the tax implications of your trades because they are taxable events. But if you want to earn yield on your crypto and you want to trade, sign up for Ledin using my link in the description and pinned comment down below. Thank you. I do also have a second sponsor for today's episode, which is the powerful and easy to use Ethereum wallet Argent. Argent is a one-stop shop for all things Ethereum on your mobile device, letting you use, earn, and protect your crypto with their open source wallet. And it features awesome user-friendly security and recovery features that really set it apart from other wallets. It really is super easy to use. And if you like DeFi, there are a lot of features there for it. Speaking of that, Argent is preparing to release support for Layer 2s, which will help reduce exposure to gas fees for its users, and they're doing a sweepstakes contest where you can win $285,000 in crypto just for signing up with your email on the waitlist for L2 functionality on the app. So feel free to use a secret email not tied to your identity so you don't give away your identity, but it couldn't be easier to get a chance to win a huge stack of crypto and be the first to know when L2 support comes to the Argent wallet in the coming weeks. So I will leave a link down below for that in the description and pinned comment. Thank you so much. All right, folks, let's do some community Q&A. 
I love answering questions from folks who watch the show. And I've got some questions from last week's episode that I'm going to answer and want to remind you that if you have a question that you want answered, leave them in the comments down below or feel free to tweet me at Hishoshi4 on Twitter as well. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. The first question of the day is from Florian. How is moving NFTs from one game to another, giving ownership of those items in general, a benefit to large game companies? So this is basically asking about the topic of NFT-based in-game items. So the idea is that there's benefits here, letting the user own their items. There's a benefit because you can have a secondary market. You can move that item from one game to another. You have the idea of metaverses and all this stuff. And this is a fantastic question because a lot of people wonder, well, why would a big game studio want you to own anything? They'd much rather just keep it in a walled garden, sell you items that have no secondary market, and just walk away because they get to make money and they don't really need to give you much. And that is true. But there are game companies who I think stand to gain a lot from this. Here's why. First of all, if you can, using NFTs, give your customers a better user experience, they can own something and they can then take those items to a secondary market and the game company can take a small percentage of all secondary market sales and they can build their games to be interoperable with each other, you now have a secondary market for items that outlives the scale of time that your game is popular. Because oftentimes games have a shelf life of one, two, maybe three years. And there are some that live longer. These you know, massive multiplayer RPG games, you know, online games like Fortnite have lasted longer. But the reality is the secondary market can very well outlast games shelf life. And if that's the case, game companies can realize revenue from items that they might have created five, 10, 15, even, even longer, even way years prior to that. And so it gives them a longer stretch of time that they can capture revenue from creations that they've made back then. There are also ways to create a creator economy, ways to take a cut of user-generated items that might sell on secondary markets using tools the game company provides, or extending the life of their games in the first place, allowing user-generated content and the collectibles that people want to get from the game makes people want to play those games longer. So there's a lot of ways that big game companies can capture value from this space, even though they are technically giving up a little bit of control to the user by letting you own your in-game items. So hopefully that's food for thought. If you have other ideas, leave them in the comments down below. Second question of the day is from KWY0220. What are your thoughts on Efinity? Why is the price dropping so much? So Efinity is a Polkadot-based project, or it's targeting an interoperable future for NFTs. So Efinity is a blockchain focused on NFTs that will be in the Polkadot ecosystem, and it is from the folks behind Engine, which is a well-established gaming project that I really, 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 really like. You probably know this. I've talked about it on the channel many times before. Efinity is a very promising project. Price dropping, there are a handful of reasons. First of all, the markets are dropping and have been dropping and there's been precipitating negative news that's been causing prices to drop. So part of it. The other part of it is that there's always, you know, instances where potentially there might be token locks. And I don't know this for a fact. I'm speculating here. I, I didn't check this beforehand, but I'm giving you examples of why. Sometimes there are venture capital token locks that happen for private sale. When there's a token unlock, those some of those VCs or all of them drop the tokens onto the market. That causes a dip in price. Usually those get bought up pretty quickly for projects that are 
have a lot of excitement. I mean, you saw this with a project like Chain Guardians, for example. This is something that happens. The other thing is that for projects that are not yet in mainnet, that are not yet completed, that are you know sort of working their way towards having a finalized product, you do have a lot of volatility, right? A small piece of bad news, you know, overall macro market trends can pull these speculative coins down. I still do believe that Efinity has a really bright future. And for me, I am invested in Efinity, full disclosure. Uh, I'm not an early investor in Efinity. Also, that's a disclosure. Uh, I didn't get a private sale allocation for Efinity. But I really do think that the project has a lot of potential. And I'm a big fan of Polkadot, a big fan of interoperability. You know this. We talked about it in this episode. I believe that the future of NFTs relies on interoperability and Efinity is a big play from that perspective, in my opinion. So take that for what you will. The price may drop several times before they end up landing all the features that they want to build. But if you believe in the project, that much is up to you. Thank you for your question. Third question of the day is from Sammy Miller. For openers, love your show. Thank you. Which platform is best for celebrities to market their brand, products, etc.? I'm an agent in LA and we've never gotten so or we've gotten so many inquiries lately. Audius, Rally, Sweet, love your thoughts. Okay. So this is basically a question about how celebrities can market themselves in the space around NFTs and I guess just around crypto in general. I would say from this perspective, integrity is everything. You can either create your own platform. Uh, you saw Tom Brady, to an extent, create his own platform with Autograph where you create NFTs that meet a certain purpose. That's one option. Definitely takes more capital. There's a lot more risk there. And then there's using existing products. Audius for musicians, great idea. There are also social networks that have varying levels of success. From my perspective, though, the best thing that celebrities can do is to really get familiar and engage with the community on Twitter first. Find out where your existing audience is already participating or where your target audience is participating. And you can do that very easily by engaging on social media with crypto people. To do that, all you gotta do is engage. Very easy. You see this happening with folks like Steph Curry, for example, getting in the space, finding what's interesting, talking to people. Uh, you had uh, Andrew Wang, an NFT writer, engaging with Andre Iguodala, basketball player as well. That's the way to do it. So that would be my biggest advice. Rather than focusing on individual platforms, start with engaging with the community, find out where appeals to you and where your target audience is, and that's gonna be your answer. Could be in one ecosystem, could be in another. Thank you for your question. And the last question of the day is from Chris B. All right, where on earth is the value in NFTs? I get it can make money as it stands, but in a real world terms, is it just pointless? It's just pointless. Am I too old? Chris, you're not too old at all. This is a totally normal human thing. Humans have a tangibility complex and also human beings, I think that grow up in a certain state of what's valuable, right? You grow up and you, you learn what is ascribed value, what a young person today would ascribe as valuable is a lot different than someone who was born 60 years ago or 50 years ago or 40 years ago. What we deem valuable as human beings is instilled in us by the world around us, by our environment. And so for a lot of people, the idea that a digital item could fetch thousands 
hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars makes absolutely no sense because it's not tangible. We are taught in many ways and in many generations that tangible items, physical items have value. Digital items only came to be after that. And so there was this difficulty there around understanding. So it, it's totally normal to feel that way. And a lot of people do. The thing about NFTs that people have to realize is something that I like to you know, use an analogy for. Let's take a Rembrandt painting, a, a priceless painting that hangs in a museum. I could take a LiDAR scan of that and I could replicate every fine detail, the color, the texture with various sensors. I could then get someone to print the image, 3D print the texture, and I could have a perfect copy in every single way down to the brush strokes and colors of that Rembrandt painting. And I could hang that on my wall and look at it proudly and admire it. And I could get a lot of value out of that replica. But my replica, no matter how perfect it is, will never take away the value of the original Rembrandt. Why? Because it's the original and people know it's the original. It's ascribed value because it is scarce, because it's one of one. It's the only one that Rembrandt's hand and paintbrush touched. And that is the reason why NFTs as well have value. Because even though I can copy paste your image, I can print it out and I can throw it in a frame. If you own the original, you have a digital signature, a digital certificate of authenticity on the blockchain that cannot be changed without your private key signature that proves you are the owner of the original. That is what is valuable about NFTs. And for people that don't think digital art is worth anything, and that's perfectly fine. I think everyone is entitled to that belief. You don't have to buy any. But for a lot of people, digital art to them, if they can provably show that they own the original, is just as valuable as physical art might be. And it has tangible benefits, like they could carry it anywhere they want. They can store it without having to worry about UV protection and humidity and all these different things that you have to deal with with physical art. There's more things you can do with digital art. Augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D modeling, all sorts of things. You can use those items inside of a game. Everyone has a different opinion on this and that's okay. But fundamentally, the value is in scarcity and the exclusivity of something, which is the same area that art in the physical world has to do with. Thank you for your question, Chris. Love that philosophical stuff. And I want to thank everyone for watching Crypto Over Coffee. If you have some time to stick around, one of the most important tools at your disposal in the crypto space, not a one-size-fits-all tool, but an important tool nonetheless is a VPN, a virtual private network. If you're on public Wi-Fi, you got to have a VPN. If you want a VPN, check out this video here about my top three favorite VPN picks. Really, really appreciate if you want a VPN to buy one through one of my affiliate links. It helps keep the channel running. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch Crypto Over Coffee, to listen to Crypto Over Coffee. I can't do this show without you, so thank you so much. Hope you and your family have a wonderful weekend and week ahead, and until next time, cheers.